Hey, good morning, church. It's so good to see you. Thank you so much for being here and for worshiping with us today. Um, over the course of the summer, we've been going through a series called Unstuck. And you're, if you've been coming along, you're familiar with this video that intros things. And the concept, of course, with this, this idea of Unstuck is that we all face certain challenges in life that when we bump up against them, it can cause us to feel stuck. Uh, and the hope that we have in those moments when we feel stuck is in Jesus Christ, because Jesus wants to walk with us and through us, uh, walk with us so that we can move forward in the midst of those challenges that we face. And this next Sunday, we're going to have the one epic service, everyone together one time, and we're going to tie things up in this series. But today, what I want to do is I want to look at one final challenge that we come up against. And in some ways, it's maybe good that this one was saved until the last because this is one that many of us deal with and struggle with in various times, in various, various ways. And this is the challenge of doubt. That's what we're going to be talking about today, the challenge of doubt. And in one sense, doubt is really nothing new to people who have been following Jesus, people of faith. Uh, doubt and dependence have always been a part of what it means to be a follower of God. You look back to Abraham, who had the promises of, of God. And in the midst of that, he knew the promises, and he knew that God was faithful. But if you look at Abraham's life, you also watch him and see him struggle in, in, in his faith, and where his faith wanes. You see Elijah, the prophet, who was a great prophet, had great confidence, and was very, very bold. But then you'll, have, you'll find him in other moments where he's questioning and he's doubting and he's wondering uh, what, what, what is going on. Even uh, John the baptizer, the great and final prophet, you see him at a point where he's looking at Jesus and saying to himself, uh, really asking the question to Jesus, really, are you the one or should we be looking for someone else? So in a certain sense, doubt is nothing new. It's nothing uh, un um, uncommon to anyone who is a follower of God and trying to, to walk out their faith. It is something that comes. And in some, in some ways, though, in the midst of all that, there's no one better to help us understand the subject of doubt and how we can walk through it than the great apostle uh, Thomas. You've heard of Thomas. You are likely are familiar with a nickname that he has. What's Thomas's nickname? Doubting Thomas. Oh, you're familiar with Thomas. Okay. Even if you're new to church and you're, you're new to this whole thing, it's very likely that you've heard of Thomas before, or doubting Thomas. At some point, in some way, you've bumped up against that name or that nickname. You've wondered where it comes from. Well, it's, it's here. Um, and in some ways, it's kind of unfortunate. I feel bad for the guy that, you know, for all of eternity, this is his nickname, that he gets doubting Thomas. How would you like that? That sounds kind of miserable, right? Here's my friend, Angry Chris. You know, here they are, for all of eternity. Here's, here's exaggerating Sarah. There you go. Or here's boring Bob. You know what I mean? That's it's kind of unfortunate to just be labeled like that, but that's the truth, and this is Thomas. But here's what's interesting. Jesus never called him Doubting Thomas. Jesus just called him Thomas. And I think that there's something powerful in that because uh, Thomas is the guy that many of us in some ways can relate to because Thomas is the guy that asks the hard questions. Thomas is the guy that says, wait, 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 I don't understand. I don't, I want to, I want to, I'm not so sure about this. And he asked some of the questions that maybe you have felt and that you feel. And in a certain sense, he's someone that we can connect to and relate to. And we need people like that in our lives, don't we? I mean, when you think about it, 
I don't know if you've ever just stepped back and just thought of just all the things that we're asked to believe and how challenging that can be. I mean, the fact that we're asked to believe in a God that we can't see, who created a world that we don't fully understand, who's provided a plan of salvation that we can't fathom, that we get to go to a heaven that we can't fully um, uh, comprehend as well. And just, that's pretty simple stuff, right? I mean, there's some stuff there when you step back, you know, that's a whole lot to try to, to, try to wrap our arms around. And we're fortunate to have a guy like Thomas, and maybe you've been there where you're like, I just have some questions. I just have some things that I'm trying to figure out and I'm wrestling through. And in a certain sense, we can relate to Thomas. And so again, Jesus never called him doubting Thomas. He just called him Thomas. And so today what I want to do is just look at Thomas and see what we can learn from him. Because I think in many ways we can face the same challenges that he faced. And what we get to see in the passage we're looking at today, how um, with Jesus he's able to walk through those challenges. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you to look with me in John uh, chapter 20. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to John chapter 20. <clears throat> and um, if you don't have your Bible, hopefully you receive that handout on your way in here. It has the passage printed for you. Um, but just let me give you just a quick, you know, by way of background, just, re- just kind of set the stage for you, which is this. It's Easter Sunday. Jesus is resurrected um, from the grave. But let me tell you, this is the last thing. That the disciples expected. As much as Jesus had told them and, and kind of framed things for them, after the crucifixion, they were not anticipating a resurrection. And so what we do, what we find the, the disciples doing is hiding. They're looking to be safe. They're hiding. But what we find Jesus doing is he's appearing on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. And eventually he appears to the disciples. And he, does, he appears to 10 of them because Judas by this time is out of the picture and Thomas is for some reason not there. And so he appears to the 10. And Thomas isn't there and this is where we pick up. But we do find that Thomas enters back into the story that we see in the passage we're going to look at today. So with that, let me invite you to please stand. We're going to read the scripture together and then we'll come back and we'll look at it together verse by verse. John chapter 20, beginning of verse 24, all the way to verse 31, it says this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Now, 
It says here in this first verse, it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So let's just start with Thomas. Um, We don't know a whole lot about Thomas. But what we do know about Thomas is pretty uniform and pretty straightforward. Thomas is the, the loving yet skeptical disciple. He's the loyal yet pessimistic disciple. See, we're kind of come, he kind of, we kind of are introduced to him in John chapter 11. And this is when uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus has passed away. And he's with the disciples, and he's not with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And he's, he's saying to the disciples, I, I, I think it's time. I need to go to Bethany, which is near Jerusalem. And I need to go, and I want to be with Mary and Martha in this time. And all of the other disciples, all the disciples are like, no, 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 don't go. Don't go. Because they know there's a ton of opposition, and there's people who want to kill Jesus. And so they're thinking to themselves, let's not go there. Yes, we're sad, but let's not go there. But it's Thomas. Thomas is the one and speaks up and says, Let's go, and let's go and die with him. That's cheery old Thomas for you, right? Here he is. He's saying, okay, we're up, let, come on, guys. We're, let's go with Jesus, cause, and let's go and let's die with him. You know, that's kind of his, kind of his sense of things. You know, there's this great loyalty, but it's not real. It's kind of like a, a you know, not going with Jesus for glory. It's going with Jesus to misery. That's kind of his perspective. He's loyal to the fact of, like, let's go, but he's pessimistic. He's skeptical. okay. I'm going to die someday. Might as well be today with Jesus. Let's go. That's kind of his, that's kind of his orientation. But you love that. You love his loyalty. You love his sense. I'm with you, Jesus, even if it means I die. That's, that's Thomas. Then a little bit later, we're introduced to, uh, we see Thomas kind of speak up again in, in John chapter 14. This is where Jesus is in a little upper apartment building with, uh, uh, with his disciples. And it's really, it's hours before the, the crucifixion. And he's talking to the disciples and he's preparing them for what's ahead. And he's saying to them, hey, listen, don't be troubled because I'm going to a place. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many rooms and I'm going to prepare, preparing a place for you. And he says to the disciples, you know the way to get to where I'm going. And it's at that point that Thomas interrupts and he says, wait, 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 Jesus, hang on a second. We don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to know the way that we get there? And I'm so grateful for Thomas at this point. I'm so grateful that Thomas just stopped. All the other guys are like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Thomas is like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm not understanding this. I have some questions for you, Jesus. You're saying you're going to prepare a place and we know the way, but I don't know the way. We don't know the way. You need to tell us. And I'm so grateful that Thomas was bold enough to, say the, to ask the question that no one else was asking because without it, we wouldn't have got the, the absolute answer that Jesus gives. Because in that moment, Jesus says this incredible statement. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's powerful. And without Thomas asking the question, we wouldn't have this incredible statement that's so critical and so clarifying. Jesus says, I am the way. And you say, that sounds narrow. Well, it's because he is the truth. And guess what? The truth is narrow. The truth is narrow. Have you figured that out? If you haven't figured that out, let's just try, just try this. Later today, when you go to the grocery store and you're checking out, just say to the, register, the person at the check register, just say to them, hey, listen, I know that you feel like all these numbers add up to $82.17. I mean, that's truth to you. But I feel like it's $2.17. And just see how they respond to you in that moment. 
My guess is their version of truth is pretty narrow. And you'll feel that from their response because that's what truth is. It is narrow. And so this is, this is the great truth that Jesus gives to us. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Come to me. It's through a relationship with me that you can be found into a right relationship with the Father. It's a fantastic truth. So we're so grateful for, for Thomas and for the questions that he brings. And it, it really is true. It really is um, terrific. And then um, it says here in this passage that it's, that's, that's who Thomas is. Then it says he's known as Didi, also known as Didymus. Now, Thomas in Hebrew means twin. And Didymus in Greek also means twin. So do you get the idea that Thomas might be a twin? Yeah. He's, he's, he's a twin. Now, what's interesting is that no one in all history has come forward and said, I am Thomas's twin. We don't know who his twin was. We really don't know. No one came forward, so maybe that says something about Thomas. <laughs> they didn't want to claim him as a brother. I don't know. Um, but it, it, we don't really know who the twin is. But one of the church fathers said this, and I think it's, it's pretty powerful. He says, all of us are Thomas's twin. That there's a certain sense that all of us have that sense of question and doubt and wrestling that he has deep within him that we also have within us. So this is Thomas. He is uh, Thomas the twin. But then it says this. He's one of the twelve, and he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So what do we learn from that? Why wasn't he with the disciples uh, when Jesus came? What can we learn from that? Answer, don't miss church. That's the answer, okay? (laughs) All right, good. I just had to sneak that one in there, all right? Okay. But in a certain sense, there's some reality to that because this is the very early church and they're, they're gathering together and they gather together on a weekly basis and they're together and Thomas isn't there and we don't know why. Um, in some ways, you know, we don't certainly know why he wasn't there, but we also know that he was certainly grieving. Um, all of them were. They were all hurting. They were all grieving. And I know that sometimes people in their grief need to be alone. They need time away because the last thing he saw was his friend Jesus on the cross, blood, death, all the, all the hurt, all the pain. And so it's very likely that he's just grieving and he's away and he doesn't want to be with them. But the good news is he does con- reconnect with them and that's a powerful part of the story that we'll get to. But he, we know that he's not there um, when Jesus first came. So then verse 25 says this, So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So the other disciples, you know, with this verse, we've we've seen the Lord. You hear a little bit of both um, shock and also great joy in this. And the shock part is true. Jesus was was resurrected. And they were not anticipating that. Like I said, they went into hiding. Jesus rose from the dead and started appearing, and it just blew their mind. They just really fully, I mean, even in in the midst of Jesus explaining things and saying all these things, um, it was just so hard for them to comprehend. But Jesus started appearing to people. He appeared to Mary. Remember that? He appeared to Mary first. She clings to him. And he's like, whoa, 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 Mary, stop clinging to me. You're choking me, girl. That's kind of what he's saying, right? But she's just so excited to see him. And then he appears to the other ladies at the, at the, at the tomb, and then to Peter, and then to uh, Cleopas and the, the, on the road to Emmaus, and then to the ten, the twelve the, uh, disciples, of course, the ten that were there. He appears to them. And they're shocked. They're like, Jesus, it's you. 
And they're so excited, they want to tell Thomas, and it says, it says this in a, the tense of Greek in which they're saying it, they repeatedly told him. They're like, Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is risen from the dead. We've seen him, we've seen him, we've seen him. They said it over and over and over again. But then notice, um, and of course, there's reason for that, but then notice his response in verse 20, uh, the rest of verse 25. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So they're saying over and over and over again, we've seen him. We've seen him. He's, he's alive. He just says one time, nope, I won't believe. Unless I can touch, unless I can see, unless I can feel, I will not believe. And it's the strongest, I will not. It's like, I'm done. I cannot believe. That's where he's coming from here in this spot. He says, I, can't, I cannot believe. Then um, what we see here is in verse 26, uh, says this, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. So this, is, this part is really, I think, just, I don't want to skip over this. A week later, so again, he made it to church the second week, okay? So he made it back. There you go. So he made it back to church. And, but here's what's beautiful. You might ask the question, well, why is, he, why is he at church? He doesn't believe. He doesn't believe Jesus is risen from the dead. Why is he there? And I think it's so beautiful because what I, what, I, what I feel and see in this passage is that the disciples made space for him there, even though he didn't believe. Do you think that his friends wanted him to believe? Oh, yeah. You bet they did. But they still made space for their friend who didn't believe. Do you think it frustrated him, them, that he didn't believe their, vo- their, their testimony? You bet. It frustrated them. We're telling you, this is true. This is our witness. This is our testimony. This is the truth. What we've seen, he doesn't believe. It frustrates them. But what do they do? They make space for him. And I just love that. And I think the church still needs to make space for people who are questioning, people who are struggling, people who are, who are saying, I don't believe, make space for them. Isn't that great? The disciples do this here for, um, for Thomas. But I think on the other side of it, I just mentioned this too, Thomas wants to be with them. Isn't that cool too? I think this is touching. That he also wants to be with them. There's, he's, he's in a spot where he's like, I won't believe, but I want to be with you because there's something attractive about being with believing people. And you've been around believing people, maybe before you were a Christian, and you're like, there's something about them. There's something about this place. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. They're singing songs that don't make sense to me, but there's something attractive about being with these people. And this is, I think, where Thomas is at in this, in this point. He's like, I want to be with, these, with this believing community. So he's back with them. And then it says this. This is where it gets kind of wild. It says this. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So it says the doors were locked. So the question is, how did Jesus get in? Yeah. I don't know. If you can get out of a grave, I don't think a locked door is that big of a deal, right? So... He finds his way in one way or the other. He's there in the middle of the room, and he says, hi. Pretty much it. He's like, what's up? Exactly. He says, what's up? I'm here. And he says, peace be with you, which is just a greeting. He's just saying hello. And that's the, that's the real shock of it. Now, what's, what's cool here, again, is that Jesus in this moment doesn't look around the room. He's like, where is Thomas? Where is that guy who's always asking the stupid questions? Where's that idiot who won't believe? Come on, where is Thomas? Just, let me get my hands on him. Jesus doesn't do that. I think it's so powerful. He says hi, and then he does turn and address Thomas in the next verse. It says this, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. 
reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. It's so great here. Again, Jesus doesn't rebuke him. You know what he does? He invites investigation. He's like, I'm here. He doesn't rebuke him. Don't ask dumb questions. Come on, why are you, why are you not believing in me? He's like, come see. He invites the investigation. Come touch. Come see the wounds. Come see the scars. He invites investigation. And I just think that is just a powerful truth. That when we have questions, that we have doubts, Jesus can handle it. He's not threatened by it. When you have a doubt, guess what? Jesus doesn't fall off the throne, okay? He's still on the throne. He's patient. He says, hey, come see. Come investigate. Come, come consider. Come consider me. And I just think this is a powerful thing for any one of us in our moments of doubt, our friends who we know who are going through moments of doubt. Jesus invites the questions. He invites the, the investigation Say, hey, come and see for yourself. He says, reach out your hands. And I think Thomas is thinking to himself, oh my goodness, Jesus is saying the exact same things that I was wanting to see. He said, how did he know that I wanted to see the scars and the nail, the, the nail holes in his hands, all that stuff? It's, well, it's because it's Jesus and he's present and he wants to walk with us even in the midst of our struggle and our doubt and our questions. He invites that and he invites the investigation. But then what I want you to see too is that Jesus then says to him, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. And I think this is important because I think one of the things that we can struggle with in this, the challenge of doubt, and we're talking about being stuck and unstuck, all of that, I think one of the challenges with doubt that people come up against is when they face doubt, they feel like that's the dead end. That we stop there, I'm stuck, I'm doubting, I'm questioning, I have to abandon all my faith because I've got these questions and I've got these doubts. But listen, doubt is not the destination. It's not the dead end. Jesus says, listen, it's just the beginning. You have questions? Great. Start believing. Start coming to me, investigating, and put your faith to work. Bring your doubts, bring your struggles, bring your wrestling to me in faith. This is the invitation of Jesus. And I think, again, this is an important thing for us to get. The doubt does not have to be the dead end. It's not the stuck spot. Jesus is inviting us to get unstuck by taking our doubts to him with faith. God, I don't understand all this stuff, but I still recognize your God. So how do I bring this stuff that I'm wrestling with to you? And that's what he invites us to do. And I think this is so powerful because in our culture, in today's society, doubting has become quite fashionable. And especially among Christians, there's Christian doubters and there's, there's deconversion stories and deconstruction stories and it's all this, I've come up to doubt, therefore I've got to abandon all my faith. And instead, Jesus is saying, no, no, take your doubts, bring it to me in faith. Let me help you. It's the pathway to a deeper faith. That's what he wants to bring us to. And this is important for us to get. What I want to do just for a moment, I want to stop and I want to just show you a quick little diagram that might help you think through Maybe, maybe for yourself or maybe for someone you love, this concept of wrestling uh, with doubts and um, what Jesus is inviting us to. And I'll use some of the language that's used um, in our culture today. Um, but I'll, the, the idea of this uh, construction, deconstruction, and reconstruction. And what I'll just mention is this. When, let's just talk about Thomas for a moment. Thomas, up to this point, believed fully in Jesus. You know that. He, he followed Jesus. He was with Jesus. He saw Jesus feed the 5,000. He saw the miracles. He was on board. I mean, that's incredible. 
He saw Jesus call Lazarus out of the grave. He had faith in Jesus. That is, so that's the, that's the starting point. He had faith. That's the construction of he had the faith that a foundation was laid. It was there. But then this, this, this point he got to was when his, his faith was rattled. There's something, there was a disruptor, right? And the disruptor was the guy I was following just died. And so all of a sudden, he's struggling, and he's saying, I don't know how to go from faith to, to what's next, because this pain that I just experienced, this suffering that I witnessed, I don't know how to move forward. And we have a word for that, right? We call it doubt. We call that, str- that struggle, that wrestling, and this is a, a deconstructing that goes on, this, this doubting that can happen, not just for him, but for many of us when we hit a point of dis- disruption, a point of suffering, a point of pain. When we bump up against something, we're like, I don't know how all this fits with the God that I know. This is where he's at. But we know also that he comes and returns to faith in this story too, don't we? That he sees Jesus and he stops and says, ah, Jesus, I believe in you. So in a certain sense, listen, he never lost his faith. He had faith. He struggled with doubt. But then he had a renewal of faith, and it was much deeper and much stronger as a result of wrestling through and seeing Jesus himself. And I think, again, that this is an important, important truth, an important reality, because many of us have felt that in our own lives, perhaps, as well. Maybe you've grown up, and someone handed to you in your early years, or at some point in your life, the gospel. You responded to Jesus Christ, and it was through that, that those people, or that faith community, that you began to have an understanding of the truth and Bible. For me, I grew up in a Christian home. I prayed to receive Christ when I was six years old. My mom led me to the Lord. And then as a young kid growing up, I grew up in churches in Portland. And I'm grateful for those churches that I was a part of because it was there that I, I learned to, to pray. I was there that I learned to depend on the Lord. It was there that I learned that God's given me certain uh, gifts and skills and abilities that I can use to serve and bless other people. It was there that I learned how to um, understand that God's word is his word and he wants to speak to me. How powerful is that, that I can read it for myself? I'm grateful for all of that. That's the construction of our faith. Maybe for you, it's a different story. It came to faith later. Someone shared the gospel with you. You encountered Christ in some um, workplace or through some friendship or in marriage. And (laughs) there was a construction of a faith system, your understandings of belief. But with that, we also have to understand that... (laughs) As wonderful as it is, perhaps the the handing off of faith or the gospel, the good news, that with that, there's also some things that that were maybe mixed in there that weren't so good. That you might bump up into different people who challenged maybe some of the beliefs that you were given early on. Or you you had an experience that caused you to, to wrestle with, okay, this is the way I was raised, this is what I was taught, this is what I was modeled or I picked up and assumed. But now I'm seeing things differently, and there's this, this bumping up against something, and we call that wrestling or these, maybe the deconstructing of some of the things that we learned early on that maybe weren't so good. And you know what? Listen, let me tell you something. That's not all bad. You know, Grandma's, old, grandma's advice, you know, eat the meat and spit out the bones, right? right? There's, something, there's something to that, that you're saying, hey, what's the good stuff? And there's, there's some, maybe some stuff that I pick up that's not so great. And I just have to stop and say, I've got to shed some of that stuff. That's part of a deepening faith in God. 
It's called growth. And if the goal is Jesus, we have to say anything other than Jesus, we, we got to let go. And there's very likely that you've been pointed to Jesus by somebody, but also some other things that weren't Jesus. Some bad religion, some bad, you know, orientations. You have to say, yeah, that stuff, I got to let some of that stuff go so that I can get to Jesus. A book that was, had a profound impact in my life when I was in college is a book written by Philip Yancey. It's called The Jesus I Never Knew. And it, was a, it had a profound impact on me because Philip Yancey just kind of goes through a little bit of his, uh, uh, sorry, construction and deconstruction, reconstruction of his own understanding of Jesus. That he grew up um, with a, a picture of Jesus or an understanding of Jesus. But with that, there were some misconceptions. And in his book, he talks about some of the misconceptions that he had growing up or some of the things that he had learned along the way. And instead of saying, okay, this, this doesn't line up in abandoning Jesus, he says, no, I want to investigate deeper. He says, I want to take my doubts, my struggles, my wrestling, and I want to take it, and I want to investigate Jesus on a deeper level. And so he does that. And in the book, it's, such a, it's, it's so wonderful. He just says, I want to get to the true Jesus, what he said, who he was, and he dug into Scripture. And it was like, if all this stuff maybe I, I heard or picked up or learned wasn't matched up with Scripture or the Jesus of the Bible, so I want to get back to the Jesus of the Bible. And it's, it's, it's really a profound thing. And I think that that's a, there's, a real, there's a part of us for all of us where there maybe we've been handed the gospel, that's good news, and we're grateful for that, but we've also been handed some other things that aren't Jesus, and we have to shed some of those things. That's the deconstruction, but we bring that to Jesus in faith. He can bring us on the other side. We have a deeper faith as a result. That's what he says. So Jesus says, hey, stop doubting. That's not the dead end. Start believing. Trust me. Take your questions. Take the struggles. Take the, the worldview that you have that's being... Um, uh, you know, bumped up against and bring it to me. He can handle it and he invites us to do that. Then <coughs> let's go to the next, the next verse. I think it's just important for us to see. It's an, at that point that Thomas, after seeing Jesus, says this. Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. And I'll just say two things here. First of all, Jesus, when he's being told he's Lord and God, doesn't reject it. Jesus doesn't say to Thomas, oh, Thomas, you're going too far. He receives worship as Lord and God. So Jesus is God. He knows he's God. And there's really no way around that. Then the other part that I think is so powerful here is that Thomas says, my Lord, my God. He personalizes it. He did have a sense of a faith in God, but he was struggling. And now he's like, no, you're mine. I get it. I have a deeper appreciation of who you are and all that you've done. It's very powerful. Then verse 29, it says this. <laughs> then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Jesus says to him, listen, um, you've, you've seen. And it, it's interesting here. Jesus, uh, Thomas, it doesn't say that he touched all the things that he said he needed to have. He needed to touch him. He needed to feel the, you know, the, the scars and see, and see all that. So he saw Jesus and was like, oh, that's it. I see you. It's real. He sees and he believes. But then Jesus says, here's the beatitude, the blessed part, the blessed, the last beatitude. He says this, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Isn't that fantastic? And that is us. He's saying, blessed are those who have, who have not seen and yet believe. So what do we base our faith on? That's the question. What are we basing our faith on? If we haven't seen Jesus, you know, physically like Thomas did in that moment, what are we basing our faith on? You know what it is? We're basing our faith on 
the corroborated um, testimony that's been collected for us in the Word of God. That we say there's, there's witnesses who saw the resurrected Jesus, gave their life for the resurrected Jesus, gave, told us the teachings of Jesus, and because of that, it tr- transformed the lives of people for thousands of years. And we're a part of that. Jesus is saying, listen, Thomas, you could have, you know, you've struggled for a week with doubt, but you could have gone back and listened to the testimony. You could have interviewed Mary Magdalene. You could have said, Peter, what did you really see? You could have gone to Cleopas. Hey, tell me about that that trip on the road to Emmaus. You could have listened to all the testimony that was there, this growing body of witnesses. And he's like, but you had to see it. But blessed are those who hear the testimony and, 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 and believe. And that's us. And we have it right here in God's word, this incredible testimony, this witness of who Jesus is and all that he's done. And it's so powerful. And then John keeps going on this. John gets excited and he starts talking more. In verse 30, he says this, um, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He's like, John's saying, hey, listen, in my gospel account, there's so much more that I could tell you about Jesus. There's so much more that's not written down, but I've written down these things, these signs. And you know, if you're know, familiar with the book of John, he talks about seven signs um, that are recorded, that he records. They said, these are signs, these are miracles with a message so that you might be pointed to Jesus. And with every sign, it's almost like a candle just gets lit, 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 and it just shines brighter on who Jesus is. And that's, that's, the, that's the point. He says, listen, there's more that I can say. There's more that I can say. But then there's 30, 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So he says, listen, all this is written to point you back to Jesus, to point you back to the one who says, listen, I can give my life for you, and I came back for you. And I'm not rebuking you even when you're struggling, even when you're wrestling. I'm here for you, and I want to walk with you. Not just now, but for eternity. That's who Jesus is. That's the one that we get to trust in and believe. In the, in the midst of our challenge of doubt, our struggle, he wants to walk with us through it so that on the other side, our faith can be deeper. Our understanding can be greater. And you may ask the question, well, what about Thomas? After he, he kind of had his faith reignited, what happened to him next? Some of you may know. But all the apostles, in fact, after, after this, when Jesus commissioned them and sent them out into the world, many of the disciples went and stayed in Jerusalem. Some of them went to uh, you know, the surrounding of area of Judea. And Thomas was like, that's, that's good. Some people went even to the you know, area of Samaria, outside of that. And they, Thomas again, that's good. Thomas says, hey, I got dibs on India. That's where I want to go. And so Thomas becomes a missionary in India. And he starts presenting Jesus to the people in India. And as people start to turn and put their faith in Jesus Christ, uh, their idols start to come down. But of course, with that comes a great commotion. But he continues boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, a Christ that he saw who'd risen from the grave firsthand, and he's telling people, and guess what? They're believing his testimony because he's passionate and he's telling the truth, and Jesus changed his lives. And it impacted a society. And he was so bold, and eventually he ended up um, 
being martyred. He ended up um, having a, a, a spear just brought through his back. But he, he gave his life because he saw the risen Savior. And he wanted others, as far as India, to hear. And it's impacted uh, people for thousands of years. Listen, for all of you who are here who find a kindred spirit to Thomas, you're wrestling, you're struggling, you're doubting. Listen, Jesus can handle your questions. He can handle your wrestling. He can handle your doubts. You can come to him. And your doubts don't have to be a dead end. Jesus is saying, listen, don't let that be the dead end. Believe in me. Bring those things to me in faith. And then on the other end, as we do that, God can bring us to a deeper understanding of him, and he can also bring us to a greater purpose to be used by him. Who knows, you doubters here in this room, or those who have doubters and strugglers in your life, they could be missionaries that God wants to use to help others come to know the truth of who Jesus is. It just seems like now it's a good opportunity for us to stop and thank Jesus for all that he's done for us and put our faith in him together today. So let's take a moment and let's pray. As we come to this moment of prayer, this time before the Lord, this could be a moment for you. Maybe you're in a spot today where you're saying, I'm, I've been wrestling and I've been struggling. But it's time for me to stop being stuck in my doubt and to move forward in faith. And for you, maybe that step of faith is to simply say, Jesus, I trust in you and not myself. I trust in you and not what culture says. I trust in you and not what the world around me is saying, but I trust in you. Because what you said wasn't just words, but it was met with actions. Jesus, when he came, he came to be with us, but then he came to give his life for us. And for you today, maybe it's the first time, it's an opportunity for you to say, Jesus, I believe that you gave your life for me and I want to receive your forgiveness. I want to receive you into my life and ask you to lead me and guide me, even in the midst of my doubts and my struggles and my fears. For some of you here today, maybe you've already put your faith in Jesus, but there's still things that you bump up against, still moments where you struggle, and this is an opportunity for you to say, God, I want to trust you trust you with the things that I don't understand. I want to bring them to you and ask that you'd help me to walk forward in faith, trusting you in the midst of that. God, we thank you so much for Thomas, for his questions, for the fact that we can relate to him in so many different ways. We thank you, thankful that you don't rebuke him, you don't really push him away, but you invite investigation and that you offer to walk with us as we come to you in faith. Lord, I pray for all of us here that we might grow in our faith through our struggles, through our questions, that we could be used like you used Thomas in a way that makes a difference in the lives of others as witnesses for you in this world, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.